idea. You guys decide. Hi, welcome to the show. This is Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Mats. Uh, welcome to Jeff and Bob. Nice to have you here. Hi, Jim. Thanks. We were just uh, chatting during the break there about a couple of different things. And uh, let's, I, I do want to ask both of you about this, though, because uh, it's an interesting story. Diane Francis uh, uh, wrote a column in the, in the, uh, in the um, National Post about executive salaries. This is an issue that a lot of people have a great deal of difficulty with. We hear these stories about guys making literally millions of dollars, in some cases tens of millions of dollars, uh, as the chief executives of corporations. Uh, obviously the money is there to be made, the corporations have the money, but the question is, <laughs> why so much? And is, does this distort the reality of the marketplace? We hear an awful lot about an open free marketplace and so on, and yet at the same time, these are salaries that are not really, some people would say, are not determined by the market, by an open and free market. They're determined by a small coterie of, of uh, senior uh, 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 executives in the companies, boards of directors and so on, who some people could make the case do little more than feather each other's nests. And the fact that, that some executive may receive a compensation of, say, just for the sake of argument, maybe $10 million a year, and there are lots of them who do that, that that has a lot less to do with their actual market value than it does with the fact that it's kind of a closed shop. And the people who determine how much they're going to be paid, they're all part of the same little coterie. It's an old boys and girls network. And that it's, it does not accurately reflect an open, free, and fair market. Now, let me tell you before I get the guys involved here, one of the theories behind high executive salaries, and it may sound foolish, uh, you can make up your own mind, but it is, the, the, uh, some people say, the predominant theory behind it, is that you need to have senior executives who are so comfortable, so wealthy, and so well off, that when the time comes to take chances, now we're talking positive chances, with their corporations, they're not afraid to do so. Because essentially, they have nothing to lose. If the major gamble fails, they'll probably lose their job and they retire with their zillions of dollars and their huge pensions. If it succeeds, everybody wins, the company moves ahead, profits go up for everybody. And statistically in the business world, the successes outnumber the failures at these levels anyway. I'm not saying that it's a valid theory, but that's the theory behind it. Now, I want to start with Bob, because Bob is a great uh, supporter of open and free markets and so on. Is this, do you think these executive salaries and the levels of compensation, are they the result of an open and free market, or is there some kind of a cabal at work here to make sure that these top guys make the big dollars, not necessarily relative to what their companies have earned? Um, I, I find it hard to believe that anyone can insulate themselves from the market, because any, everyone who's tried it, including governments, have failed. So if a government can't do it, a CEO in a company can't do it either. And I, I, I challenge your assumption that, that, that anyone in a large corporation is immune from the market. The only way they make their money is to appeal to the marketplace and to make sure that the marketplace buys their product. But, but, but over and above that, I mean, the whole issue of CEO salaries, to me, the issue is who cares? I don't care if a CEO makes a billion dollars a year or five bucks a year or if he makes a nominal zero salary, as some have done in the past. Um, that doesn't bother me at all. It has, has no effect on you and I. You think not? No. It has no effect on the workforce, for example, the morale of the workforce, which is important to the success well, of any operation. To the, to the extent that a CEO is successful, he has a tremendous impact on his own company. And, and we assume that we're going to keep successful CEOs in place. Um, we're not going to continually put a, a, a failure in place year but after year. I'll give you, I'll give you an example here. The, 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 Bell, uh, the, the recently announced Bell restructuring, where they're going to sell their, uh, their operator services to a private operator. 
um, the private operator has offered everybody a job at a 40% cut in salary. Um, and, and his rationale is that the Bell people are overpaid in terms of the market. There are lots of other people doing exactly the same job for about 40% less than Bell was paying their people. Now, that's, that creates some problems, morale problems. Again, I'm not talking strictly economics, because when you talk about the market, uh, human nature and human morale does, does play a, a role in it in terms of how productive you're likely to be. So we now have a situation where you've got the chief executive of, of Bell, which, who is making something... About $12 million. $12 million dollars this year, something like that. Well, in Bell was a regulated doctors. monopoly. Absolutely, absolutely. Out, but so. the point I'm trying to make is I don't buy your premise that however much money he makes makes no difference to the rest of us. I submit to you it's going to make a big difference to those people who stay, those people who are still not providing those have, services. Not if we have choice. I don't have to deal with Bell. In fact, business-wise, I don't. We're but if, you work, but if you work for Bell and you're going to continue to work for Bell, are you going to work as hard for Bell as you would if you felt that the people at the top understood some of the problems that you worker bees were having? Instead of this idea, well, we'll get rid of 5,000 employees, yeah, they're going to lose 40% well, of their salary, that's not now. problem. You're switching subjects now. We started talking off, ta talking about CEO salaries, which is a, an entirely separate issue. Now you're talking about the decisions that CEOs No, make. no, you said, that, you said that their salaries had no impact. I'm saying well, I think they have a great impact. I, I not, think they do. Uh, in what way? If, if, we don't, if, if someone's overpaid, they're going to be pushed out of the marketplace. I was there. I was in middle management in a large corporation that paid me way too much for what I did. Mm -hmm. I had about three hours work a day. They paid me for eight hours. Mm -hmm. um, it was obvious my job wouldn't last long, and it didn't. And neither did a lot of other middle management positions in a large company. And even the more senior management positions eventually faded away. But are you telling me that you think morale plays no role in profitability? Well, of course it does, but I think it's a separate issue from profit, what you yeah, pay Because well, profitability, profitability affects all of us, and I think that's the connection. You said what they, what they earn makes no difference to the rest as of us. As long as their company's making a profit. Right. Jeff, you want to jump in here? Don't well, be yeah, bashful. Yeah, you guys have anything to <laughs> Yeah, well, what struck me about this so much was I was I was shocked to see Diane Francis of all people criticizing executive compensation because, you know, I would sit back and say, well, over the last decade, uh, compensation for the average person has gone up by you know a couple of percent. Maybe uh, many people have seen their their pay stuck or they've moved up by a few percent over that period. Uh, uh, what she says the relevant measure for a chief executive should be the stock market. And over the, the period of the last decade, the stock market has seen record growth, of course, uh, particularly in the last seven years. Uh, so what she's saying is that the theoretical rationale for paying these guys all this money is because they're worth it to their companies. They bring in a lot of money for the shareholders, and if they're bringing in money for the shareholders, then uh, then they're worth it. But what she says is that their compensation should be tied to how much money is coming in, that it, or, or how valuable the companies are becoming. So she says that their raises should be in the range of what their stock is doing. So if their stock has gone up ten times, they should be making ten times what they did. But what she found is that, in fact, uh, in all of these cases that she looked at, where the stock has gone up by, say, four or five times, executive compensation has always gone up by 10 or 20 times. And uh, she, she has a th theory for it. And uh, Diane France, of course, was the business editor for the Financial Post, uh, or the editor of the Financial Post, a prominent business editor, and, uh, and I think of as pretty strong capitalist right-wing supporter. Um, but she says that, uh, she's th theory she says, the name of the game is simple. Executives suggest that boards bring in compensation consultants to evaluate pay scales. These consultants are used to justify pay hikes based on reports by the consultants who earn big fees telling executives they should be paid more money. Funny how they never earn big fees telling executives and their directors that they're all vastly overpaid and should roll back their compensation packages. But you look at Bell, for instance, where uh, she says that uh, 
over the last 10 years, Bell, um, the, the chief executive of Bell has seen his salary go up by 12 times over what it was uh, 10 years ago, whereas the stock has gone up by about four times over that period. Uh, all these companies, Northern Telecom, Quebec, or Moore, Imperial Oil, uh, Inco, all of those companies have, have seen uh, increases in their stock value of, of two, three, four, up to 10 times, but the chief executive salaries have gone up by, as they say, 10 to 20 times. Even companies like um, like Moore, for instance, a huge company, uh, the stock has actually gone down from $26 in 1987 to $21 today, and yet the chief executive officer last year took home a salary that was three times more than they did 10 years ago. So she seems to be sort of putting the lie to this business that, well, they're making way more now because they're so much more valuable because they've made their company so much more valuable. She's just not buying that. Well, but, but Bob says it doesn't matter what well, they if I, if I if I were to talk to Diane Francis, I'd say, Diane, if you want to run this company, a company the way you think it should be run, well, you have the freedom to do that. Start your company and pay your CEOs accordingly. It does not seem unusual to me at all that you would increase a, a senior executive salary by ten times if he's increased your company income by four. I mean, this is just egalitarianism if you think it has to be four. If, if four times the company's income is, like, say, from one billion to four billion, and 10 times his income is, say, from 1 million to 10 million, you're, you're paying a small premium for that increase in the, in the massive income that but you're why getting. Do we, why do we you're, pay... You're comp she's comparing apples and oranges. But why do we pay so much of this, so much more, to that guy at the top of the heap than we do to the other people on down the chain? He doesn't make a dime without the workers who are actually getting the work done. Well, I, he must be doing something there. I, I don't know what a CEO does and what a, how a CEO actually directs a company to make that extra money, but he's doing something, and it's not the labor at the bottom end that's creating the extra money. But it's I his job to make sure the labor can exist and have, have its existence. But, but Jeffrey, you, you know, Diane Francis is not a, a right-wing capitalist. She's a conservative socialist and has, de has identified herself as such. She's one of the biggest defenders of our of our uh, universal social health care system, for example. So she's not she's not on my side of the issue. She's more on your she's side. Not on my side, no way. <laughs> it's not surprising to hear her criticizing CEOs and and wasting time on nonsensical issues like this. That one of the things that's so interesting to me is what the public should be interested in. What's happened over the last ten years is we've placed much more value as a society on chief executives than we used to, and and I don't think anybody would seriously argue that a CEO today is ten times smarter or ten times harder working or anything else than a CEO in 1988 was. But what we've decided, though, collectively as a society, consciously or unconsciously, is we're going to pay them a lot more. We're not going to pay doctors much more. We're not going to pay uh, anybody else made much any more. Decision. But CEOs who, who do you are mean by society, the you and me, you, you and the I. Marketplace has, but you and well, I participate. No, the marketplace in. buys the products that that the companies produce. The marketplace does not care who makes them, who the laborers are, who the middle management is, who advertises, who the Adam CEO Smith's is. Invisible All they care about the is the thing. price at at the marketplace. Well, if is I'm there something buy wrong with this? If I'm going to buy car A over car B, and car B has the same same qualities but a lower price, I'm going with car B. I don't care who's making money at the top of the heap, or I don't care if they're losing money. It's not relevant to the consumer. Well, I suggest it is relevant. If you're, For one thing, it's not just CEOs. It's senior management. Generally, they're being paid way more than they used to. If you're buying Jeff, a car... Jeff, what's your you point? Be... All I hear is envy. I, I hear no... Envy? I hear no rational economic argument. I hear no political argument. I just hear envy. These guys are making a lot of money. Gee, what... So? I know. I, I would have said that <laughs> 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I would have said, these guys are making a lot of money. What I'm saying now is that in the past 10 years, something has dramatically changed so that they're making exponentially more than they were then. Are they that much more valuable to you and I? Are they that much smarter in the way they run these companies and provide us with these astounding products than 10 I years could ago? Even, I could even argue, is the money that they're earning today at an exponential rate 
worth that much more than the money they were making less 10, 15, 20 years ago. I've got I mean, an economic argument for you, and I come back to what I said before when you said the two were not related. I submit they are. That automobile that you want to buy, if that automobile is built by motivated, uh, involved individuals who are relatively happy with their lot in life, who feel that they are being compensated uh, uh, appropriately for the effort they're putting in, I submit to you that they are prob probably probably going to build that car better, probably going to build that car cheaper, and you and I are going to pay less money for that car. And I, I'm not arguing with you on Well, that and point. what I'm saying is that, that I'm are questioning, because you're saying there's no connection at all. I think there is a connection. If you're a guy working on the line and you've just fought for, your union's just fought for a half a percent increase or a one percent increase in your, in your wages, and the guy at the top just got a ten million dollar bonus, whether or not that's justified, whether there's any good reason for it, whether, you know, set all of that aside, I submit to you that that guy in the line is not going to be as committed to the success of that company as he would be if he felt the guy at the top, even though the guy at the top is making a lot more money, if he cared if about that, them. If that guy on the line thinks like you do right now, I would agree with you. But if the guy in the line is a little more sophisticated and understands how economics works and that the, that the CEO at the top is not his enemy and isn't competing with him for, for dollars, then he'll understand that the, maybe the reason he, only, he got that one-half per, percent increase is because the CEO did something good for the company and earned his extra yeah, money. Maybe he, maybe he but will. It only started maybe. 10 years ago. Like I, what I don't understand is what's changed. I, I'm not so interested you talk about envy. It's like, sure, I envy rich people, but uh, something dramatically has changed since the mid-'80s. And I don't think it's that uh, CEOs are that much smarter than they were in the mid-'80s. I don't think they're that much greedier than they were in the mid-'80s. Uh, but they something has larger, dramatically changed, yeah, though. Yeah, there's much, much larger markets available to them. We're well, going companies to haven't grown. Market. No, no, it's not growth in the country. That's there's, exactly what you said. Since the saying. 80s was a period of explosion of, of trade barriers going down and, and more free trade in, in the world and larger companies competing with larger companies on an international scale. But Diane's point is that this compensation isn't tied to the growth of the companies. She's saying if a company's grown five times, maybe maybe there should be some commensurate increase in salary. Good for you, you've increased the size. Although size isn't really the important thing, stock value. But that might not have anything to do with it. A company might want to keep a particular CEO because they're afraid that CEO might go to another company that is doing better. And so they'll pay that, that person a premium to keep him so that he won't go to a larger company where his salary might seem more more in line with what Diane Francis wouldn't they do wants. that 10 years ago? Well, sure they would, but the marketplace didn't demand it then. So this is what I'm so going what back is, to. What there's there's an expectation among the, the CEOs that they're going to get paid way more than they used to. It's not that they're doing anything that, for that money. It's just that they've been able well, to ratchet their salaries it's up. It's not an expectation. And you're telling me and Diane saying that it's it's an actuality. They are getting that money. Yeah. And it's not that they're expecting no, no, it. But you're so saying so when, there's nothing unrealistic about it. When you say it. the marketplace demands it, what you mean is the marketplace of CEOs. The, mar the, the CEOs out there say, I won't lift, lift a pen for less Pretty than $4 million a year. And I know I can get it because all the other CEOs are demanding four million right. a year too. And those Doesn't that offend you? Isn't that the, the oligar oligopoly? Well, the people you're talking about are a minority, even amongst C CEOs. No, I mean, they're not. There's a lot of CEOs who have dropped out of that whole market. I know a few, and who are sort of private consultants now and, and contract themselves out, and they're still making good money doing that. Um, I just see the market changing. I, to me. The general public, now, you know, Jim, you're right, like a person working for a company has a greater interest in that company's operation than the person who's buying products mm -hmm. from it. And the further away you're removed from the company, the less interest you have in it. But as long as the companies are making money, employing people, expanding, I don't see why a CEO's salary is an issue until we have an overabundance of CEOs who are willing to work for less. Okay, we're going to pause for a moment. We'll come back with more on Left, Right, and Center here in 1290 CJBK.
Left, right, and center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. I'm Jim Chapman, and we welcome Paul to the discussion today. Hello, Paul. Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. Good. Um, one of the other problems, too, that I think is that you can take, like, the example you used earlier of Bell. Um, if the guy has a $5 million bonus for reaching certain goals, mm -hmm. if he lays off 150 people and sells off a whole department in terms of operators or whatever, mm -hmm. he gets the income from the department for selling that, mm -hmm. saves all the salaries, mm -hmm. all of a sudden he's reached his goal because he's just dumped off, rather than increasing business or anything, yeah. he's achieved his goal by sacrificing a whole lot of other people. So, so his seeming success may be illusory. Yeah, it may be something that is very self-centered upon him. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, I can make my $5 million bonus, I'll lay off people, mm -hmm. get my bonus to hell with or, sorry, the heck with the other people. Yeah, or the future of the company. Yeah, and go on like that. Like, he's well, getting Well, that's in. how he's thinking. He's a, he's, a, he's a bad CEO, and he shouldn't be there w paid any price at no. all. About Robert, they're... <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not for us to worry the about. The business world is replete with stories well, like that. Well, then those businesses Chainsaw go L. under, and other businesses take their place. That's how the marketplace works. The marketplace has to be free to allow people to fail, make mistakes, and screw up big time. As long as we make sure we don't get the government involved or taxpayer bailouts, then it won't affect the rest of us, or at least very minimally. Um, you know, a CEO who may have to lay off a department and lay off people, which basically is how I lost my job in a large company, um, that was good for the company. The company would not have survived if we stayed there. And I think buried in this attitude is somehow that it's not a company's job to make a profit, it's a company's job to keep people employed and to and to otherwise serve all sorts of social purposes for which a company doesn't exist. Paul, the last word to you? Oh, I just think it's, it, it, I think it's greed. Um, you get some of these guys who want big bucks. The well, but greed, way to get them. greed, again, is an irrelevant issue. Everybody's greedy. The, the workers are greedy. The CEOs are greedy. The customers are greedy. Yeah, but the, the people consumers with are... the control and the power to do something about it are at the top, right? Well, no, they're at the bottom. That's the consumer. If you don't like how a company's run, it's your moral obligation not to buy their products. Fair enough. Okay. Thanks, Thanks. for the call, Paul. Bye. 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel. That's where Jerry is. Hi, Jerry. Hi. Uh, you guys have missed a couple of things where um, the chief executive officers, I don't know if I ever got to be a chief executive officer and somebody called me a C CEO, I think I'd be a little offended. I think it deserves the title. Um, how about a fellow by the name of Hassan? Laid off half his nurses, froze his salary for five years, and gave himself a $60,000 a year raise. It's Phil Hassan at St. Joseph's. Oh, I don't know. I yeah. can't say that. I don't want to get you or me illegally in trouble. Well, you can say his name if you want. Uh, well, no. <laughs> I'll, disagree. I'll agree to disagree there, Jim. But uh, no, $60,000 a year raise where there would be environmental impact. Do you know what environmental impact is? layoff. Mm -hmm. Some of you are all sitting around there looking there and finally someone says, what does that mean? Oh, there will be layoff. And it, what, what can you do to him? Can't do anything to him. You're not going to buy his product? What are you going to go? Go to another hospital? They're all under the same group. Well, hospitals are government run, government controlled, government financed. Gov and, I mean, that's a mess from the beginning. From and you know how much the government will help you. Well, it won't. That's why I'm saying government shouldn't be involved in this. And, and any government institution is exempt from any of my comments that I've made so far about mm -hmm. the marketplace. Because okay, one other thing, and then my other thing you're missing. I deal with a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of industries. I'm back in my former profession, and I'm doing well, and 
And by the way, Jim, thank you. You uh, said a few nice words to me a couple of times when I was down. I appreciated that. Um, I deal with a lot of secretaries, receptionists, and people that do almost 99% of the work. And when the big savings goes, the bosses get the credit. I believe someone said in the movie Nine to Five, how the reception or the secretaries and that were kind of passed by and the big bosses got the pat on the back and all that. There's a lot of people that aren't on an assembly line. There's a lot of people that burn some midnight oil punching computer keys and doing price comparisons and stuff like that which say, oh, I'm just the secretary. Well, I'm sorry, you're more important than the chief executive because you take all the work to but that Jerry, person so they can look good. Jerry, you're missing the big point. There's more secretaries than there are CEOs, and, and your salary is based on supply and demand. There is no other law out there that determines what you get yeah, paid. Why don't they get the credit? Why, if the guy got a $10 million a year raise, I just guarantee that he or she is going to turn around and say, now, look, you people helped me do this way, so I'm going to share it with you. Sure, and that's when cows will fly. Jerry, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. We got Bill with us next. Hi, Bill. Good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, like your like opening statement, what I heard you say: if companies make money, CEOs get big money. Okay. I'll go back to uh, an article, a book I read years ago with Massey, Harris, Ford, or whatever it was mm-hmm. back then. Yep. Now you have Argus Corporation. Doug McDougal and the boys. Yep. We're in control with about uh, 20% of the company. Yep. Okay, what they have done, what they did at the time, they got themselves voted onto the, what, the board, I guess. Yeah. Okay, now, this company is not making money. This is going back 50 years. Yeah. The company's not making money, but these guys have got enough stock in their 20% to control the company. Yeah. So, every year they vote massive dividends. Every year the company has to borrow the money mm-hmm. to pay the dividend mm-hmm. to, for them to remain in control. Now, that is not market. Well, and this might happens be over to do. and over. Like companies don't have to make big money to give CEOs big raises. If a, company, if a company's not making money and they're trying to pay de- dividends to their shareholders, they're trying to hang on to their short shareholders that they're that they're afraid of losing. So I, I would imagine that they borrow the money with the expectation that they can make it back in the future, although success is not something that's guaranteed. You're right as far as Massey Harris goes. Well, it's, it's, it, it's true of every company. No, it's not true of every company. Um, this is nonsense. Well, how, name me a company who has from, its uh, success guaranteed. 140,000 employees to about 30, and it's making money. I guess took a dump this year or this quarter, but it's making money. Your point being? My point being, you, the company does not have to make money and no. lose money for well, CEOs. The company to get can't go on losing money forever unless that You're money's right, coming but from it took its shareholders. Years for. Uh, well, so Matthew Harris to do it. So you're just talking about a matter of time. A matter of time, it will grind down. Sure. If it's badly run and continuously badly run, well, that's natural. What ultimately happened to Massey Harris, though, Bill? It ain't there anymore. Exactly. Right. So, right. so, they couldn't, so they couldn't do it forever. They've done it for 50 years, yeah. Jim. Well, well, not forever. Even the Soviet Union lasted for 50 years, and look at the ridiculous plan that was based right. on. Bill, thanks for your call today. It's good to hear from you. Okay, Jimmy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Robert, I have one for you, though. And this is a little bit off the topic, but it comes back to some things you said previously. 
about the uh, supply and demand being the only criteria, the only way we can assess what somebody is, quote, worth in a well, workforce. It's is not it? that I'm advocating it. I'm just no, saying no. that's what's there. Okay, let me, let me ask you, though, about one, of the, about one of the classic situations that strayed from that. And that was Henry Ford's decision in 19, whenever it was, to raise this, the pay of the people working in his factories from, I think it was a buck and a half a day, to $5 a day. There was no economic pressure on him to do that. Uh, it reduced his profitability initially, although you can make the argument it increased it later on. He did it and said at the time he was doing it out of a sense of social responsibility and because he wanted to sell more automobiles. He didn't see the sense in, in making a product that the makers, the makers of which that they couldn't afford to buy it. Uh, it's a little different if you're making Rolls Royces. Nobody expects every Rolls Royce uh, builder to be able to buy one. But when you're, when you're building something mass-produced like an automobile, like a Model T, he felt that it was important that the people building it be able to buy it. They couldn't do it at the prevailing labor rates of the day, and he tripled them just all by himself with a stroke of his pen and went, I think it was about a buck and a half a day to $5 a day. Well, I don't think he did it with the stroke of his pen. It strikes me that Henry Ford, one of the things he's known for is the development of the assembly line system of putting a car together. Mm -hmm. So had he not developed that, or at least got the right people together who developed it for him, he would not have been in a position to be able to pay that. Point I think is he, he made a wise business decision. But it was not the market. He set the rate. Of course it was the market. He set the salary rate on his own. There was no market pressure on him. He could have kept these people for a third of what he paid them. So if your premise is true that that's the only way and the only reason to set a salary rate, how do we explain that? I, you know, you're saying that he, he would have kept them. I I doubt that, and there's no way you can really test it because there wasn't that there weren't any any other large car companies competing with him yet. But I'm sure he assumed no, that those things. No, that's not true. No, would, no, that's not true. Happen. The time he did that, there were a number of other automobile companies larger than his. Oh, there's your answer. He wants to keep his workers and doesn't want them going over there. No, uh, no, um, that, uh, that would be one the of the pressures. That would be one of the pressures. And he did say he wanted pe his workers to buy his cars, and that's that's a great reason to to give them more money so that you're going to get the money back. But that's, but that's not the market it works, setting those well, salaries, is it? is it? Who said it? There's either the marketplace or there's the government. Mm -hmm. Those are your two choices. Well, no, the well, no there's, there's such a thing as social responsibility. You just listen, don't hear if about I, it very if often. I, if, if, if you or I decide to hire somebody and we're going to pay them five times what the market would pay, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean we're not part of the marketplace. We are. But, it, but, that but means, the market average but the market is the setting that price. And I understood you to say that yes, the market sets that Henry price. Henry Ford is part of the marketplace. And he pulled the price up for everyone else mm -hmm. so that everyone else had to meet his price. But he pulled it. But that's fine. He wasn't pushed, but he, wasn't, he pulled it. But, but the point is, he's part of the marketplace. The marketplace assumes that you are free to make your own decisions. Nobody forced Henry Ford to pay $5 an hour, or whatever he yeah, paid. Yeah, $5 a day. A day. So, he made a free and voluntary choice. That's how the marketplace works. That's what the market is. It is a place where we make free, voluntary choices. Uh, now, if the government had come and said, you pay $5, then I'd agree with you. There wasn't a marketplace No, there. no, no, no. I, I'm not going to let you get away with this, because I think you're skating around now. You can't... I don't... I, I don't you're saying Henry Ford wasn't part of the marketplace? I'm, no, no. I, of course he was. But you said earlier that the only way to, to, just, to, to judge the value of an employee is by market forces. What are you worth on the open marketplace? Yeah, and what are other people... It's like, it's like, it's like what's your house worth, well, for no, but, example, wait a minute, wait, no, no, wait a minute. But people fought to work for Henry Ford when those prices came in, because it was was way more than the market value of their services. It was way more than, than what they could earn virtually any other company doing the same kind of work. My point is that you can 
set other criteria for setting a salary level. There are other things beyond the fact that, well, if this secretary doesn't want to work for this much money, I'll get another secretary who does. Sure you can. And you could offer stock options in your company to workers. You can do all sorts of things that other companies aren't doing. But that doesn't mean that you're not part of the marketplace. No, no, I'm not, not never said that. No, I didn't say that you weren't part of the marketplace. Or that market forces aren't influencing your choices. Okay. Suppose that the market rate at the time was not a dollar a day, but five dollars a day. Mm -hmm. So he would, to better that, he would have had to go to say ten. Yeah. So even though he chose five, he had to base that on where the market was already. He wasn't going to pay less than the market. He had to use the market no, he, as a but guide. He, but he doubled or tripled the market. Well, that was his choice. Of course it was. But he made the choice. Right. And not because he had to because of the market. He did it for other reasons. Well, he did case, it for other reasons. He did it, well, he did it for greed. He did it because he wanted to make more money. He wanted to increase productivity. He wanted to have a good set of employees who would stick it out with him. and would. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are all reasons of self-interest and you, greed. But can't, don't you think you could make those same arguments for a lot of corporations today who don't do that? There are lots of corporations today who could, quote, yeah. afford to pay their workers a lot more money than they do, right. and they would probably see the same kind of benefits accrue as Henry Ford saw. Not, not in the kinds of businesses that I hear we're talking about, because customers will go elsewhere if their prices rise accordingly. That's, that's the issue. Okay, let's go to the phones again where Lauren's been waiting. Hi, Lauren. Hello, how are you? Fine, thanks. Um, I just have two points to make. One, I think, as far as the CEO, CEOs go, they give direction and... Um, movement to a company and I think I I would think in the modern era the the prime uh, example would be Lee Iacocca who took Chrysler which was on his deathbed and with a government loan if you want to call that corporate welfareism, I don't know, turn that company around into something that, that's really strong today. Yeah good point except Robert Townsend who preceded, was that the guy who preceded him? I think it was Townsend he drove the company into the ground so he was a CEO as well well, I'm just saying that, that, that he's, he's an example of, of the kind of, the reason why CEOs can make big dollars. Uh, what, because what, he did take a company that was on, the, on its deathbed and, and moved it up. But Diane Francis's point in this case is that uh, the guy who's running Chrysler today, uh, who may or may not be doing a good job, will make ten times more than what Iacocca did, even though the stock may have gone up in value by four times. Um, she's saying, why should there be this six-time differential? Like, is the person today that much smarter and better in all, every way than Lee Iacocca? Well, I don't know. I'll, I'm, I'm just giving him an, as an example, I think a positive example of a CEO that, that, did, uh, that saved a lot of jobs yeah. and saved a lot of investors' dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, the other point I was going to make, though, uh, on this downsizing of reducing uh, of market value, uh, whatever you, you were calling it as far as wages go, isn't there a, sort of a self-defeating prophecy to this, that if, if you download uh, the wages to the point where nobody can afford to buy the products that are out there, which I think is the point you were making, Jim. Well, well uh, no, and nobody is suggesting that we should do that, but, but well, I Well, I mean, isn't that what's going to happen to those, uh, those women and men who are working for Bell Canada? One minute they're worth so much, such and such, and the next minute they're worth less. Mm. Well, yeah, doing fact, exactly the same job. I can't remember the name of the economist who invented the term downsizing. It was a business executive, I should say, from Harvard. And uh, what he had ultimately concluded was that downsizing is a loser's game. At the end of the day, where does it leave you? He said that uh, economies uh, prosper through growth. Growth is what is good, and that we've rewarded downsizing so much over the years that uh, it's sort of taking our companies in the wrong direction. Uh, and ultimately, he, he was originally a big proponent of it. Now he says, yeah, maybe we've been too aggressive in downsizing. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm, not, like, I'm not an economist, but I would just think that, that uh, um, reducing uh, the average worker's wages consistently 
between uh, an actual reduction and, and, and the cost of living just eating away at it, eventually uh, this individual's not going to have any money to purchase the items that uh, the companies are selling. You reach a point of negative benefit to the company then. No. Yeah. Then to society as a whole. Yeah. Lauren, thanks for your thoughts today. You're welcome. Appreciate it. We have to pause for just a second. There's lots more to come on Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. This is Left, Right, and Center with uh, Robert Metz and Jeffrey Schlemmer, and we've got Joe waiting on the telephone. Hi, Joe. Hi, how you doing? Fine, thanks. Good. Well, I think the real issue of what your discussion is about uh, comes down to the value we can bring. And I'm a big fan of Jim Rohn, who's a professional speaker. And he talks about the, the value of human beings, we all are, is, is equal. Mm -hmm. But the real issue is what we're talking about in the marketplace. And in the marketplace, you know, we're paid due to the value we can bring to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And when you have capitalism, which we have, you know, I don't think there's a compromise. You know, it's capitalism or communism, and as long as we have capitalism, we're going to be judged on the value we can bring. And when you think of the value a CEO can bring, and as a human being, the line worker as, is equal, but in the marketplace, the value the CEO brings, brings with it the compensation that the market is willing to offer. Well, if you believe that his compensation is based entirely on value, then you're right. But but Diane Francis takes issue with it, and Jeffrey's taken issue with it, too, that it's not a result of your value to the marketplace. It's a result, basically, in most cases, of what a small group of cronies want to put into your pocket and can get away with. If the, if the shareholders stood up of these corporations and said, you know, $10 million is too much to pay Joel Blow, Five million would be ample based on the, what he's done for us as shareholders and what he's done for the company. So, so why don't they, Jim? Well, what a good example. That's a very good Look at somebody like well, a, a classic because, example is Matthew Barrett, for instance, at the, the Bank of Montreal. Look at Matt Barrett. You know, his big thing last year was we're going to merge the Bank of Montreal. It'll be great for the shareholders and everything else. And he embarked on this thing. It didn't work. He, he bombed out totally. And uh, as a result of that, his compensation for this year is four and a half million dollars. I, I would suggest that if we're going to value it based on what he's contributed to the company, this year he shouldn't take anything. Uh, that, I, I agree with you. It should be based on well, what they're contributing and what what Diane is pointing well, out. Well, maybe they learned a very out of whack. It's lesson way beyond that, that. They won't repeat in the future, and it was worth that money. <laughs> is them he going to pay that? a price? It was you know? his responsibility. <laughs> but that is that is again, as I said earlier, that's one of the theories of high executive salaries. Is that very thing? That, exactly. So they're not afraid to take a chance. And I think that that's a valid element of what is what constitutes a CEO's worth. I agree with Joe entirely here. I think he's right on the button when he says that what you get paid in the marketplace is the value you bring to the marketplace and as as cry as you want about CEO salaries the shareholders are not asking to have them removed otherwise they would well be. the shareholders aren't asking for much of anything in most corporations well, because the ownership is diluted and that works to the great advantage of the CEO it's just like democracy isn't it it's just oh, it's like, like the oil the government prices. Works. it's exactly the same as and, any other little so garbly we can't complain when we're not part of that particular corporate democracy because I'm not I'm not a shareholder I'm not a voter I'm I, but I'm a voter in the sense that I may or may not buy the product that that company offers the marketplace and that's where all the prices start determining right at the bottom level Joe and, thanks for joining us last word to you as a shareholder of Bank of Montreal we've had about a 22 percent return for the last five years mm -hmm. so we're pretty happy with the job he's so he's done. so he's worth the money then that's for sure thanks for, for it <laughs> thanks for the call Joe appreciate it you're welcome and Tom's with us next. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jim. How you doing? Fine, thanks. Good. I just turned the, the radio on. I just got out of the car, so I don't know if this point's been made already. But uh, my, my understanding of uh, the compensation that most CEOs receive, when you're talking 10 and $12 million, a lot of that is, uh, is uh, share options. And stock options. Yes, indeed it is. Yep. And 
to my mind, if I'm a shareholder, I want my I want the guy running my company to be paid entirely uh, on stock options. Yeah. Because then his income uh, is going to losing you there, Tom. Tom, I'm sorry we're losing you on the line, but I think we got the, the gist of your call, and I thank you for joining us. Now, that's sort of the opposite of the theory that you had mentioned, Jim, and, and that's the one I've heard more often, which is that uh, the CEO's performance should be based directly on the performance of the company, mm -hmm. uh, because he don't, should have a stake in it, uh, that if he has some insulated salary, the risk is that, it, you know, he's not as directly, he's not as hungry, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, because he knows he's going to do well regardless of what oh, happens. And then, by the same token, he won't take perhaps a necessary risk in the marketplace required for, for future expansion and to meet future competition. What I wonder is whether we should be doing this with government. Should we be paying the prime minister four or five million? Would we get a better run country? Well, well he'd have to lay off more civil servants to get to get an increase, and maybe that's what we should be doing. I want to uh, I want to just say one thing about stock options too. That one of the problems with that is, and as a, as a shareholder in some in some corporations, I'm somewhat resentful of this. These senior executives can pick up these stock options, but they don't pay for those shares. What I do. That's what the option idea is all about. We will allow you at a future time to buy this stock at a fixed price today, uh, which is always, always lower than the value, or they don't, they, they don't pick up the option. Uh, and we don't see very many situations in these high-priced guys where they're not picking these options up. To me, as a, as a shareholder, I do think that's unfair. Why should he have the opportunity to buy the share for less money than it costs me to buy it? Because Just he's doing something that you aren't. You aren't running the company. He's running the company. Yeah. Okay, let's go back to the phones where Gord waits. Hi, Gord. Hello. How's it going? Fine, thanks. Uh, I think the, what you guys should be advocating there is that everybody becomes self-employed. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we wouldn't be discussing how much CEOs are making because then everybody's uh, personal financial uh, life would be their own, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I, I, I get a sense that this is all about jealousy because we're talking about, oh, it's just so terrible that these CEOs are making this amount of money. When, if we did that with our neighbor, that would be called envy, wouldn't it? Well, I haven't heard anybody today's complain about how much they're making. What I've heard and I'm complaining about is how much they're making more each year, that their salaries are going up exponentially at a time when the value they're providing to the company is only going up by two or three times. Why should they have a ten-time pay raise if they've because increased the value of the company by two pay, times? Their pay is minuscule compared to the value of the company. If you've got we're a company... We're principle here, Bob. We're not talking dollars <laughs> well, and cents. Well, it is you don't five have, million dollars is no not minuscule. There's no principle. If, if the guy increases a company's value by three times, say that's three billion dollars that he increases it by but his in but his annual income goes up by 10 times say he made a million increase it to 10 he's only making 10 million dollars he's only getting an extra 9 million for a 3 billion dollar extra to the company but you 10 years 10 years that. from now we're saying well they only make 300 million a year but you know the company's okay, worth 2 billion 300 when that it's comes the, in a loaf of bread it'll cost you 8 bucks is there a know? point <laughs> where we reach enough in the exponential growth to well, say, well Jeff, what if you were self-employed no? what if you are, you were well, none of these guys are self-employed but you're self-employed yourself are you not no you don't consider yourself or well if you mean in a theoretical sense i provide labor and in exchange for it i get a paycheck that's true okay but you're not uh, owning your own company and doing that no, no, neither are they. None of these people are self-employed. Okay, but wouldn't you say that being self-employed would provide that atmosphere for people to do that? Theoretically, and, and in a way, what, I, what, what Diane Francis seems to argue here is that there's this small cabal, as Jim has mentioned, of CEOs who have somehow managed to ratchet up their pay. Theoretically, and, and, if, and if, if and it was a true self-employed... Don't you think there's a, a reason for that? It's well, called it, perhaps... 
intelligence. No, I think no, that's no, where the greed. I think that's the greed ago. that comes in. I think that's where the, the or the envy and the greed comes in. But again, I'm trying to agree with you here. Prior to that, in order for you to become employed, one must uh, demonstrate some capability. No I'm, beyond, I'm, try, I'm trying to argue. I'm trying to agree with you here for that. Can I finish this? Okay. Well, hold on, because you have a few more minutes to respond to mine. Just let me yeah. make this okay. point. Okay. All right. Um, I, I'd like to say that that there's the difference between the two, the, the bottom and the top, and we keep talking about that. Is that the difference in the application of labor? One is uh, intelligence, and the other is muscle power. And usually, we reward the intelligence uh, more because. Fewer people do that and strive for that, and that is a major reason for that. Um, that that's my major point. Thanks. Right. Okay, thanks a lot, Gord. Uh, if I can finish agreeing with sure. you for a minute, I would say that, yeah, it's true that if it were the case that everybody was self-employed, I think there would be less chance of this kind of a thing happening. You wouldn't have this sort of oligopoly where these guys get together and sort of ratchet up each other's salaries by calling each other and saying, well, how much are you getting this year? Well, I'm taking uh, 100%. Okay, well, I'll take 120 and so on. For me, it's the same as what happened with OPEC back in the early 70s, where you've got a bunch of guys who basically can control the price of a particular thing. In this case, it's management. Uh, in that time, it was oil. And basically what they said is, we're going to all get together and agree that we're going to increase the price of oil by 100% or 200%. Uh, and if you don't like it too bad, that's what the free market gets you. And every and it's not at all uncommon for us to interfere in the free market because it gets out of whack like this. Okay, my argument is that at that level, it's not the free market. They're pretending to be capitalists, and they're not. They have as closed a shop as any union that ever set oh, yeah. up in a, in, a, in, a, in a factory anywhere in this country. We have to pause for just a second. We will be right back. Uh, Bob's chomping at the bit. I'm guessing he'll have the next <laughs> thing to say. His left, right, and center continues. Back and we've got Ed waiting. Hi, Ed. Hello. Yes, sir. I had a comment about stock options. Um, one caller was, I think, saying that he liked that method of paying because of the incentive. It's sort of like a commission yes. sales position. Mm -hmm. The only concern I have about stock options, as a, a minority stockholder in a, a Chrysler Corporation, I received a, a, something that told me that I should sell my stock and to help create this new Daimler Daimler Chrysler organization, right. mm -hmm. and management was recommending that that happen. Mm -hmm. The only problem I have with that is that the people recommending it, in other words, the CEO of, of, of Daimler, the CEO of Chrysler, stood to make a colossal amount of money if the stockholders all said, yes, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. And in, in Robert Eaton's case, $67 million. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't he think it was a great deal and recommend it? Mm -hmm. well, it was a he keeps his job. Uh, yeah, I was just going to go on to that. If that was government doing that, it would be a clear conflict of interest and clearly out of line. And so I, I just throw that out there that often um, at that level, they seem to be able to play both sides of the street. I think there's a lot of truth to what you Thanks. said, Ed. Bye. Thanks for the call. Now, Bob, let's like saying a guy who's self-employed has a conflict of interest when he takes a larger salary from the company that he runs that's not a conflict of interest that's the one and only interest in operation but, it, but it is not a, Bob it, Eaton's company but it, know, is, it is a conflict of interest if he has shareholders in his company and he sells the company to another one because he's gonna make a ton of money off it even though it may not ultimately be in the best interests of the company he's well, selling if you're in a, minor, a minority shareholder position to begin with you're you're vulnerable regardless mm -hmm. and that's something you have to know when you buy your shares yeah. so I, I I have no sympathy for for people who are in that position because they can always buy and sell their shares but but this idea of a closed shop at the top you know ownership is a closed shop it's not the same term anything you own is a closed shop you own a business it's a closed shop yeah. as far as you are concerned mm -hmm. and the same thing applies to CEOs they're not they're not 
they're, they're sort of like representing the owners because it's a collective ownership in a large company. So you have to have one person who plays the role of, quote, owner. And from his perspective, yeah, it's a closed shop. He, quote, owns the company, although not really, mm -hmm. but he plays that role. Yeah. And, and so I kind of object to your idea that it's a closed shop. That's a different thing. A closed shop is something that prevents competition um, in a marketplace where somebody is shopping for, for, for the best price for something and is prevented from doing so. And I don't think that's the case with CEOs. Tall bourgeois. <laughs> well, for me, it comes well, there, to there's a good, there's a good response. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to come back from that one. Well, we're yeah. just about out of time, so I'm trying to go as quickly as we can here. Uh, I have nothing else to say. I've well, said everything I can. Just I the last word to you. Sure. For me, it's analogous to, I think, of a military situation. And it, it, we've read in the past about generals who, who decide to put themselves up in villas and live in opulence because they say they have to be insulated from the fray. They, they can't bear the same kind of suffering that all the troops have to. They have to be up above it all. And those are the generals who, who generally get out of touch. They're the ones who don't do well. The generals who do well and the ones we respect are the ones like uh, Robert E. Lee or U.S. Grant who say, whatever the troops are eating, that's what I'm eating. Where they're sleeping, that's where I'm sleeping. That's how you develop leadership. And that's the kind of moral quality that we admire. And it works. At the end of the day, they're plugged in. What we're seeing with the, uh, the, the business leaders is they're getting unplugged in the same way that those generals who live in the villas are. And ultimately, that's a bad thing for all of us. So what you're saying is if some of these top CEOs CEOs just got down in the trenches with with the workers, the workers would no longer care about those multi-million dollars. Don't take dollar a big raise when you're laying off 10,000 people. This guy at uh, Northern Telecom just laid off 10,000 people and paid himself $12 million. I don't admire that, and I, I could never explain that to my children. Did he, I could save, never more, say, did he save more than $12, $12 million? No, by the value of the company's people. gone up by two or three times. His salary's gone up 12 times. Uh, well, I, don't, I don't know how anybody can defend that it. to their children. What kind of a role model is that for kids? Well, you're assuming it's his, his job to keep a certain group of society employed even though they're not needed anymore to it's bring productive. It's the new aristocracy and it's going to be bad for everybody because they get lazy when they get rich. And you don't have to worry about them. They'll lose their wealth. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen, both of you, for a lively one today. Thanks, Thanks Jim. Uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer are with us every Wednesday from 11 to 12 for a little segment we call Left, Right, and Center, and we hope you enjoy this as much as we enjoy doing it, because we do have fun every week doing it. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to take a look at this so-called United Alternative. Does it have a future in this country, or is Joe Clark uh, right when he says, I'm having nothing to do with it? We'll also talk to Jody Durand, who's a, uh, a, a pig farmer, about some of the problems going on there and something they're doing to try to help out some of their fellow farmers in trouble. And we hope to have former Prime Minister John Turner with us tomorrow. Um, well, he's booked, and we just hope he shows up. Uh, he's going to talk to us about, uh, well, he doesn't know yet. We're going to talk about the situation with Paul Martin, Brian Tolman, and John Kretchen, because there are a parallel in his, Turner's life. Uh, and Chris Huff going to talk about a youth mentor mentoring program and all sorts of stuff coming up. Please join us for the next edition of Talk of the Town for Jeff, Bob, Ryan, and Kathleen. It's Jim saying please take care of each other. Mind how you go. Stay tuned for Ask the Experts with Chris and Rob.